Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Jason. And we're back with uh, more news. We got lots of news, lots of stuff going on in the space realm. You know, you and I write about and talk about uh, technology stuff uh, as our primary roles, and uh, it's really quiet over there. But there's stuff happening in space. Thank goodness for that. In space, on ground, about space, uh, all over the place. Space related. Yeah. Space, I, it's, uh, you know, what do, I, what do I read? What did I just say? Space and related subjects. That's right. There's a lot of things happening in related subjects. That's good. Uh, people may not realize we record that every time, and like we really could yeah. just drop it in, <laughs> but I like, the, uh, yeah. I like doing it every time. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we're back, episode 42. Uh, yep. And we got- you always keep your towel with you. Life, the universe, and everything. Ultimate answer, ultimate question. Go read some Douglas Adams if you're feeling down. It's the perfect episode for it. So the House has passed a NASA Authorization Act. and Yes, NASA's now authorized. Congratulations to NASA. <laughs> Good job. For being authorized. Yeah, a gold star. Uh, mm-hmm. This really is a... It, it's it's not a funding bill. There's no money attached to this. But it is a, I guess what some would call a steering document. It, it is a outline of what uh, the Congress, or at least the House of Representatives, uh, the goals they're setting forth for the administration. We've talked about a lot about this over the last uh, month or two, kind of the political side of NASA being a government agency. And while human spaceflight is a major focus of the bill, as you might expect, it is silent on things like earth science, uh, you know, uh, scientific research in with the atmosphere and climate change. Not surprising if you've been following along, but this kind of solidifies that they're Focus for NASA is going to be human exploration and not some of the other stuff so much. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's about right. That it's uh, it's not it's not super surprising what we're, what we're getting here. It's uh, it's a, uh, and this is a case too where you know the House has been able to have its uh, have its say for a while now. It's just that this time there's a, a different president, so the the executive branch has a different take perhaps on what it wants the space policy objectives to be. And it's hard to say again, not being a Washington insider, whether this is the house uh, saying stuff because it knows that this is where it's aligned with the administration or whether this is the house trying to kind of get ahead and say, this is what we want maybe so that they can steer it a little bit, depending on, you know, whether the administration has an active, uh, you know, active group who really have a specific take on what they want NASA to do or whether they kind of don't care as much and that, you know, somebody else with power in Washington could step up and say, how about this? And since they're of the same party, maybe they could just kind of, you know, all get on board going in that direction. It's kind of unclear to me what exactly is going on here. Yeah, me too. And there's been a lot of commentary from Republicans saying, you know, other agencies should conduct this, you know, the earth science stuff. I would argue, and I think a lot of people would argue that NASA is uniquely suited for it, that other agencies should be involved, but NASA does have uh, means and resources and tools at its disposal that other agencies don't. And in the sidelines, all these other agencies are being defunded. So like, oh, other people should do it. By the way, we're getting rid of those other people. Uh, so that's yeah. that's a little uh, concerning from my point of view. Uh, but it's here, and I think there's some really interesting 
uh, points in the bill passed what we've already talked about that we should that we should highlight. Uh, the first being that uh, the their sense is that the International Space Station should continue until at least 2024 and perhaps even until 2028. Just a long way away. Yeah, well, I think there's this feeling like politically what you don't want to do is is uh, be seen as um how should i put this it, when the us doesn't uh, loses face in space <laughs> it's it, the people who are in charge look bad right sure. and there's this feeling that the obama administration got uh you know look looked bad for being in the chair when the space shuttle took its last flight, even though that was a decision that that was in the works from the Bush administration too, um, that you know there's a question of like why aren't we why don't we have that capability? So if you're in the chair uh, when the International Space Station is allowed to break up, <laughs> then and you don't have a replacement, you're going to look bad. So this is pushing that out further and saying, you know, yeah, we want to keep it. We want to keep it going because nobody wants to be in that chair when the music stops. If there's not a replacement that's ready to go, basically. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I think that's that's definitely at the heart of this. And and there's no, as we've talked about, there's no concrete way forward from the International Space Station. There's been conversation about how you deorbit it, how you take it apart maybe reusing parts of it in something new. There's whatever China's doing, but there's no, at this point, no clear path forward from the space station into something else. Yeah, I saw a story the other day, and I, I can't remember where I saw it. Might have been Washington Post, might have been New York Times, I'm not sure, uh, that was speculating um, that there there's now some conversation about a uh, as as a part, of, and we're going to talk about this more, I think, in this episode. But as a part of this conversation about where we go, do we go back to the moon? Do we go to Mars? The idea of a uh, cis lunar habitat, hmm. which is basically a deep space station. The idea that instead of doing the ISS in low Earth orbit, the next phase might be um, that you you send a few modules and connect them together in maybe lunar orbit. And that gives you uh, some experience with a, a different kind of location, getting there, getting back, and then also could potentially be a, a starting point to go down to the lunar surface again um, and, or, or to practice for potentially having missions where you're orbiting around Mars. Uh, so the, I've seen some conversation about that. And that's the first thing that I've read in a while where I thought, oh, I could see how that would be a direction where that would be a reason to kind of shut down the International Space Station would be if you if you were putting something else further out and being able to say, you know, by moving from this space station to that space station where this is advancing the game. And uh, then you have a story to tell about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like there's some some research stuff going on around there. Uh, but. That is um, that would be interesting to me, just because it's not low Earth orbit, right? That that's that's a big jump. But at the same time, doing another space station just outside, you know, just within reach, seems like maybe not uh, the amount of evolution that we want either. So it's that's would be interesting to follow along with, right? Um, there's some stuff in here about launch and reentry service providers from third parties. Um, there, there's support for, as you might imagine, uh, a human exploration roadmap, uh, to quote, expand human presence beyond low earth orbit to the surface of Mars and beyond. 
in a step in a stepping stone manner. I mean, this this is very much the uh, the mission to Mars to a degree. There's mm. uh, a, a note in here about a human mission to Mars to be launched in 2033. It doesn't specify if it's to orbit or land. Of course, landing being much more difficult and expensive. So Mars still seems to be on the table. What's unclear here is if the moon is being reinserted as one of those stepping stone uh, items. You know, we, we talked about last time this topic came up that uh, the GOP likes the idea, or at least at least parts members of the GP like the idea of, of uh, returning to the moon, uh, putting American astronauts on its surface again, if not at the very least circling it. And SpaceX is going to do that, they say. And there's this tension, right, that we seem to be like every four or eight years, do we go back to the moon or not, kind of comes back up. <laughs> right. But um, uh, a big part of that, of course, is SLS and Orion. It this This bill... Uh, directs the NASA administrator to submit a report on how the Orion spacecraft could serve as a backup to commercial crew, including launching Orion atop other vehicles besides the SLS. Now, this is not necessarily new language. This is this has come up in the past of like uh, the ability for you know if if Boeing and SpaceX can't get their capsules ready and we're out of seats to fly uh, with the Russians. What do we do? And if Orion was ready, could Orion be mated to the top of something like a Falcon 9 or a ULA rocket and taken to low Earth orbit? And that's that's really interesting to me, even though it's not new, just because it would be it'd be like another use for Orion. Right? Orion actually came out of uh, the old uh, Constellation program and is now being built for SLS and now maybe this too. Like it seems like they keep asking more and more things out of this capsule and out of this vehicle that is not done yet. And I fear a little bit that this is a space shuttle situation where you keep moving the goalposts and you end up with something that doesn't really do what it was initially designed to do. Yeah. I, I do. I worry about that, that this is, this is the, these push and pull, uh, leads to, you know, that we spend a lot of money on something that doesn't really do what anyone wants it to do. Like you said, I also wonder, and again, this is a topic that we're going to talk about a little more. Uh, we talked about last time about SpaceX and I think this time about Blue Origin, this idea that, do you get the sense that the commercial space companies are lobbying really hard to get um, basically cash from the government? Because that seems to me, I mean, I'm sure they do that all the time, right? But it seems to me like they see an opportunity here in a new administration that takes, and and with a party in power that takes great pride in cutting government budgets and, and decrying government bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. I, I really wonder if Blue Origin and SpaceX and other companies look at this as an opportunity to maybe just cut the legs out from under NASA run programs and say, why don't we just, why don't you just pay us to do that? And, you know, and and as companies, I mean, it is an opportunity for them to say, why, you know, why not, you know, we're not the contractor who's building that rocket for NASA. And wouldn't it be better just to pay a company to build that rocket? And, and I, I wonder if they're, I don't know what ultimately the, the, um, government is going to prioritize here but it does seem like everybody's kind of like uh pushing for 
this idea of like, well, maybe the commercial companies could be more involved in this, whether that's practical or not. And I don't know that, but it definitely seems like there's a lot of talk now about um, what is NASA, what should NASA be doing itself versus what should commercial be doing? And it's it used to be that low Earth orbit was going to be left to commercial, right? And NASA was going to move on. But now there's con- you know conversations about the moon and Mars involving commercial stuff. Yeah. And so th- things are getting you know, weirder now. Yeah, I agree. It feels like there's definitely some sort of uh, movement on the part of those commercial companies in the in the very recent weeks. Like you said, we're going to talk about Blue Origin, which really feels that way, <laughs> really mm-hmm. announcing stuff ahead of its time. Uh, one thing I, I try to balance that with is what I what I have come to call like the Musk excitement factor, where like Elon <sighs> Musk just gets a crazy idea and and says a bunch of stuff and like. Some of it comes true and some of it doesn't, and he never hits his deadline. So I, I try to temper that a little bit, at least with SpaceX. But I think you're absolutely right. I think these companies feel like there's an opportunity now to say, hey, look, we can do this. Uh, we can do it for less money. We can do it you know, perhaps more efficiently or at the very least, uh, you know, the government's spending the money but not on a big government agency, which people in power seem to not like right now. So – that definitely feels like a thing that's happening. It, I'm curious to how far it will play out because ultimately it's they have to prove that they can do it. And at least you know today as we're recording this, SpaceX has had some success. They've had some failure, but they the commercial crew program is still behind. We haven't seen anything Blue Origin has announced yet either. I mean, bottom line, although they're a lot closer than they used to be, the fact is no commercial enterprise has taken a person into space. Yep. Hasn't happened. Period. Just hasn't happened. I mean, we can talk about it all we like, and they're getting closer, but it hasn't happened yet. So, yeah, it's the the Musk factor that you're talking about. It's really easy to get way ahead. But at the same time, when you've got these long periods of time that you have to build this up and spend a lot of money over many years, I can totally get why everybody wants to get at the at the front of the line now. And I do think that just purely from an optics, and, and somebody who works for NASA might be able to have a, a clearer perspective on like what the difference is, but purely from an optics perspective, paying funding NASA to pay a contractor who is a commercial company to build things that NASA launches feels very different than paying SpaceX or Blue Origin or whoever to launch something. And I realize that in the end, it's money from the government going to a company to do stuff. But one of them feels more like, quite frankly, a Republican ideal of we're working with businesses to do this. And the other feels much more like a bureaucratic big government kind of thing. So even if in reality, it's way more complicated than that, I can see how the current government in the U.S. would be more inclined to push things toward uh, the private companies. And if I work for a private company, I would totally be trying to play into that. Totally. So, uh, the asteroid redirect robotic mission, <laughs> which we've yeah. we've known was probably on the chopping block, mm-hmm. uh, seems to be on the chopping block <laughs> officially now. They might as well call this Aster Obama because this is the Obama administration was like, "Hey, we're going to redirect an asteroid." That was a thing, and the Republicans in Congress were always like, "Nope, yeah, we're not going to do that." And uh, so the Congress has once again said, "Nope, we don't think that's a good idea." Yeah, yeah. So. 
Rest in peace. In fact, idea. I mean, you could you could say that this is maybe the difference between this talk of of, of uh, having some modules that you put together in cislunar space or in lunar orbit and uh, and call it a space station is kind of like the other version of the asteroid return, which was the idea of putting an asteroid in lunar orbit and then doing missions kind of on it. So you know they're they're similar, but the the skepticism for the asteroid uh, continues. Uh, some other missions that get called out specifically support for the Mars 2020 rover, a mission to Jupiter's moon Europa. Shocker. Yeah. The, the House of Representatives really likes Europa. We knew that. Yeah. But yeah, again. It's their favorite moon, really. It is. Well, second, it is. Second they favorite like, moon. They like that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's their favorite. They love moons. The James Webb Space Telescope, uh, which we dedicated a whole episode to a while back. And then yep. the... Wide Field Infrared Space Telescope, which I, I'm not as familiar with as James Webb. And then it strictly prohibits NASA from canceling the Airborne Sophia Infrared Telescope, which I didn't know anything about. So, I, oh, This is the one that like flies in an airplane, right? Yeah, they basically uh, – there'll be a link in the show notes. They basically took a 747 and highly modified it and uh, with the German government. And basically have an infrared telescope they fly around. Yep, it's they fly around. It is pretty, uh, pretty wild looking. Look at these pictures of the seven forty seven with a big chunk cut out of it, and you can see mm-hmm. some instruments. So that will continue. Uh, it also adds a a tenth item to the list of objectives in NASA's Organic Act uh, to quote search for life's origins, evolution, distribution, and future in the universe. So, um, you know. That's cool. I don't have much to say on that. (laughs) I was just going to say, insert joke about the word evolution being used in a document put out by the Republican Congress here. Um, We don't mean that kind of evolution. Okay, fine, whatever. Uh, Yeah, so that's that's great. uh, This is an exoplanet thing, kind of. And I think that that's great to say, yes, one of the things NASA should be doing is helping us uh, look at the universe and see if there's life, because we're at the point where that's kind of a thing we're we're able to do or will be able to do very soon, which we, you know, would not have been a conception in 1960. Right. Uh, And then finally, there is a change to the senior reviews of science missions to be required every three years as opposed to every two years. So some review changes there. All right. Well, I guess uh, congratulations for your authorization, NASA. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see. This Again, this is a slow – I mean, this has been a very slow government transition. And uh, and so we'll see. But, it, but you can see the 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 wheels are are grinding, but they're grinding very slowly on mm-hmm. on change in policy. And I think one of the responsible things to do at, at this point is to say, like, what can you know? What are we going to keep doing? What 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 balls do do we want NASA to keep rolling? Because you can't just stop, right? I mean, this is it's a little bit akin to um, New Horizons uh, targeting its next its its next target before it had been funded. Because right. they couldn't wait. So they just had to do it and then hope that they got the funding. It's a little like that. Like NASA stuff needs to keep rolling um, even as the, the, the powers that be are deciding what they want to do long term. Yeah. And I'll say there's not much in here or really if anything in here that is surprising if you've been following along. Like th- I don't no. think anything came out, or, out of left field in this document. No, I, I agree. I, I think – I actually think that this is a pretty um, – 
conservative, I don't mean in that way, like a pretty basic conservative document in terms of just sort of like what the Congress has been saying for a while now. And it's about like very specific details about um, about this. I would not be surprised if in the next couple of years we see, as I alluded to earlier, more radical conversations about what the future is in terms of uh, of space exploration and especially human spaceflight, but not yet. Yep. So we're going to shift gears a little bit, and uh, we've got four uh, new stories this week. Uh, the first taking place around Mars. So uh, MAVEN is an orbiter in Mars. It's been there about two years and is studying the atmosphere and interactions with the solar wind in the Martian atmosphere. Important work if at some point we want to, to land humans there to understand mm. Uh, how that situation is panning out and in the whole conversation, which I don't want to get into today because it's crazy pants, but of, of terraforming Mars, like some of this is kind of the same conversation. But uh, the news is that on Tuesday, the spacecraft carried out a uh, a motor burn that boosted its velocity, velocity basically sped it up a little bit. Uh, so it would have a larger margin uh, to avoid Phobos, which is uh, one of Mars moons. Because you don't want to hit a moon if you're an orbiter. That's bad. No. It would be one of our less favorite moons if we did that. Yeah. And it, right? Yeah. And it was not uh, It was not guaranteed it was going to hit. This is a safety precaution, right? They want to have a larger margin. Um, it could have happened, but uh, I think they were going to be within seven seconds of each other. But you wanted uh, – you want that, that margin. You want to make sure you're in a safe place. So that was successful. Uh, so Maven – Lives on another day. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great story. Kind of, kind of is. Two two years they've been orbiting, and now there's this moment of like, you know, I, I just I wonder how long they've known this, and whether this was more dramatic or less dramatic. Because you'd think that at some point somebody would have been just like, you know, we're going to have a problem in in early 2017, and we're going to probably need to do a burn, and that's probably what it was, right? Yeah, they're like, yeah, you know, let's be safe here. It's a little bit like when we talk about. Um, uh, you can't you can't send a repairman out there, right? You can't send a, a repair truck to fix a broken spacecraft. So you 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 try to be careful, and you're like, we'll use some of our propellant to move out of the way of this big rock that we might otherwise hit and destroy the spacecraft. So they did. Yep, good for them. Good job. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about Blue Origin a little bit at the top, but the the company has really two stories uh, in the recent weeks. One is a story in the Washington Post, surprise, surprise, about uh, the company's plan when it comes to uh, lunar exploration. And then they also, uh, a little bit later, about a week later, outlined their low Earth orbit strategy. So kind of two prongs to this story. Um, The first, the Washington Post story, outlines uh, apparently a seven-page white paper that NASA's been circulating to NASA and the transition team uh, and the company saying that they are interested in developing a lunar spacecraft with a lander uh, that could touch down there. The, the mission they outline is to, is to touch down uh, basically at the South pole where there's uh, there's water, there's nearly continuous sunlight for solar energy. If you're going to put something on the moon, it's not a bad place to put it. And yeah, exactly. And their idea is that they, again, well, NASA could do this, but we could do it too. And, uh, it's interesting because both of these are interesting to me because Blue Origin has been very 
very methodical so far in their approach. You know, you have Jeff Bezos on stage saying he wants to become the Amazon Web Services of space, right? Like, if Relay is going to open a space station, we could hire Blue Origin to give us all the parts to do that. But this is nice. You like that? But this is a be, um, be right back. I got to make an order. I'll be. Uh, I think there's a guy at the door with some deliveries. Oh, but oh yeah. Well, I've said too much. <laughs> uh, there's a whole a whole line of trucks out the door. Mm-hmm. So this to me seems like a huge jump from that. And again, maybe it's they sense an opportunity. Uh, maybe it's that they. I, I feel. I'm. A, I'm curious how you feel about this. I feel like Blue Origin doesn't get the credit they deserve. With what they are doing is remarkable uh, with their rocket technology, and, and they've done a lot of successful tests, and they've they've flown a bunch of reusable rockets. They're doing it in a very different way than SpaceX did, and they haven't flown anything for anybody yet. It's just just test flights. But this seems like a really big jump forward, and I wonder if it is to keep them in the conversation with SpaceX. That I think, yeah, I think it's easy to kind of write Blue or- Blue Origin off as being behind, and and they are, but. To, to kind of keep them in the public eye a little bit. Uh, well, they've been behind, but not. Um, they've also been not trying to make like grand predictions, right? In the way that with the the way that Elon Musk does, and also for a while they just wanted to keep it quiet, right? Like they they were secret for a long time. Like it was Jeff Bezos's secret space thing, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't even talk about it. So I think this is. Uh, yeah, this is them opening up because they sense a moment. The, what the Washington Post story says is very much like they they anticipate that the new administration is going to want a or potentially want a uh, you know a space rallying cry of some sort where you can say we're going to do this. Look at us to taking decisive action. Doesn't this make you proud of the United States? This is something that that we should do. This is a good thing the government can do. Which you know that there's a lot of skepticism in in uh, in Republican Party about government being good for anything. And there, but there are a few places where where they seem very supportive of government. The military is one of those, um, and and space is one of those. So to be able to point to something. And say, you know, look at what we did. Aren't we great? Is something that every politician wants to do. And and I do think that Blue Origin and SpaceX and probably other companies too sense an opportunity here, maybe to steer the policy right. Like I, the, sure. what the Post says is that uh, you know they, I mean, I think they're suggesting that maybe maybe these companies are um, trying to get the attention of influential people to absorb their ideas and make them policy right like you guys may not have any ideas about space stuff you may be you know aren't from that industry and didn't come into power knowing anything about it but we're hey here we're your buddies in the commercial arm of uh, you know american space industry and we've got some ideas and if they if blue origin could sell uh the trump administration about uh, going to the moon and building a moon base, then that's really great for Blue Origin, right? Because presumably it's their idea. Presumably they would get contracts, they'd get money, and that could be a driver to to have them spur their technical development even more. So, you know, there's an opportunity for them. So I think they're jumping at it, even though it probably doesn't fit with their personality up to now of being kind of quiet and not uh, over-promising. Mm-hmm. And in the same article, they talked to United Launch Alliance. They talked to Bigelow, the people of the inflatable space uh, module. Beam, yes. Yes, uh, the Beam folks. And they're talking about- And they said, we could build an inflatable thing too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we, we could. We, we could build one for you. And, and they're all saying Mars is premature, the moon is not. Like It's it's that 
that same thought that, yeah. we, that we see coming from the House and from that authorization bill, potentially. Yeah. And, and you know, that really resonates with me, this idea that Mars is for, – for a long time what we've said is, okay, we went to the moon in, in, the, in the late 60s and early 70s. Let's go to Mars. That's the next thing. And, uh, okay, fair enough. But what seems to be the case is Mars is so far off that we just keep pushing it off further. And so there, there's a real strong argument to be made that the right thing to do is to go back to the moon and get it right and then go on to Mars this time instead of sort of just exploring the moon a little bit and then leaving and saying, let's fold up the tents here, folks. Um, and, and that we could go to the moon and do that. Like, we have the tech to do that. Not, I mean, obviously, we landed on the moon a long time ago, but, like, we have tech to get stuff to the moon, to have people on the moon, to put, to put uh, buildings down on the moon. We could do a lot of that stuff. It's not, it's not something that you have to look at it and kind of squint and say, well, in 20 years, I think we could maybe get there. And so I, I think there's a real argument to be made, especially if you want to, you know, you want to be seen as having doing stuff because all of these people are pol- are politicians and saying we're going to just keep on working on something and it's going to take 20 or 30 years to get there. But just, you know, just trust us. Um, those people will be gone and new people will come in and they'll change the direction. Right. Like you were saying about the space shuttle and you never get anywhere. So I see the appeal. Yeah. Uh, Blue Origin also uh, laid out their plans for a uh, for their bigger launch vehicle. They're calling it the the New Glenn, and the uh, it kind of breaks down to a couple pieces. So they have um, they have uh, the rocket motor they've been building the BE four. Uh, they kind of shared some more information about that. The first motor's been assembled. More is more being completed soon. They're in testing. They're evolving that motor. Uh, but New Glenn is going to be their their heavy launch vehicle. It's going to be powered by seven of those BE-4 motors. And because everything in rocket science is a... Uh, got to have a little graph showing how big everything is. Uh, <laughs> it is larger and, and than the Falcon Heavy and includes the option for two upper stages for even more range and power. So again... Like what SpaceX is doing, like what NASA is doing with the SLS, they're designing this thing from the get-go to be flexible, so they can fly just the the lower stage. They can fly it with one or two upper stages, depending on what the mission needs, and to give them that flexibility that is important when you are servicing clients and the space station one day potentially, and and who knows what else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they they've talked about how. Ultimately, their goal is to go New Shepard, New Glenn, and then New Armstrong, and that's we're back to the moon at that point, right? Which is the capability. And I'm not sure whether New Armstrong is just the two stage version of New Glenn. Um, if it's got the ability to, uh, if that if that's you know larger than the Falcon Heavy, I don't know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Blue Origin is their. Uh, yeah, again, I don't. I think this is not necessarily what they would prefer to do, but I feel like they need to do it, or they, I feel like that's what they've decided they need to do it because SpaceX has has been consuming all the oxygen in this conversation, and they they need to be noticed because they're working diligently on this stuff, and you know, and and they don't want Elon Musk's promises of something that might happen in two years, but really will happen in five years to hurt their business when they feel like they're making, you know, much more realistic assumptions about where they're going. I think that's totally fair. And uh, a lot of people obviously drew conclusions that, oh, this is just what SpaceX is doing. And to your point, I think that's fine. And there are only so many ways to build a rocket and make it returnable 
and being able to fly it again. So like, yes, they have a picture of it landing on a barge at sea. Fine. Like that's, that's how this is going to work. And, yeah. and you know what? Blue Origin's done, done a really good job proving that they can build these things so far, at least to be reusable while that they're not flying missions like SpaceX is for paying customers. They are pushing the technology forward. So I think competition in this space is good. I think having uh, two companies doing similar things but from different ends of the spectrum, different approaches is fascinating. And I'm, I'm excited to see how this heats up over the next couple of years. Yep. So should we go to Saturn? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, it's a bit of a haul, but we should go. Okay. Because there's a moon that was not in our moon draft because it's very small and not interesting, except that it is totally adorable and Cassini because it's more expendable now that it's reaching the end of its mission. The Cassini probe is able to duck in through the rings and take pictures of things like the rings and the little shepherdy moons that... Uh, live between the gaps in the rings and kind of uh, are in resonance. They, they, they move the ring material around and they gather some of it up and, uh, and it kind of clears that gap. And so Pan is one of those moons. And we have a very close look at Pan, which looks like, I don't know, some sort of nut or maybe a pastry. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I was gonna say pastry. You know, something jelly filled, or uh, maybe some sort of like weird crimped pasta. It, it's adorable. Uh, there's no way around yeah. it. Pasta is good. Yeah, or or um, I don't know, a UFO, a little it, bit. It does like look a, a little like bit a flying saucer, like a flying saucer. In fact, I think National Geographic calls it a flying saucer-like moon, which just cracks me up. Yep. Uh, yeah, and it, it's 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 small. I mean, we're talking only like 20 miles across, 21 miles across. It was predicted. Like so many things in the outer shell system are predicted to be there before we can see them because of this gap in the rings have been noticed in the 80s. And I think it was discovered finally in 1990, uh, looking at Voyager 2 images and, and found the moon, found the moon that way, which is uh, pretty awesome. You can actually go read that original story. It's, uh, it's up at the Harvard website. Yeah, it's pretty great that they they you know figured it was there and then they studied the pictures and they spotted it, but it was still just a dot. And the National Geographic story by Nadia Drake says that you know it quotes the guy who found it and said, "This is such a far cry from the dots I was tracking in 1990." Like <laughs> you know, we can see, Pan Pan is ready for its close up, um, and it is yeah, it's adorable. It's just this little goofy moon. It's got a um, it's got the the wings on it, basically. Uh, it's got this ridge all around it, I think, because that's uh, ring material that is accumulating there. It's part of it. It's all gra- a gravitational system, right, where it's it's moving and the and and its gravity is kind of sucking up some of the particles and also put you know keeping the particles in line and and uh, that's that's what Pan does. And so I think it gets that little. I mean, uh, the National Geographic story says it's like a little Roomba. With a force field. That's about right. It's adorable. <laughs> That's a great description. And it's not alone, right? It has a sibling, Atlas, which is very similar. Yeah. Yeah, this is how those... I mean, if people wonder, like, why why, did, why are there gaps in Saturn's rings? This is one of the... Uh, you know, this is this is why it happens. Is is it's all about gravity, and in this case, there's a, an object that has accumulated enough junk that it's got a little more gravity, and it's moving in orbit around Saturn. And what it's doing is it's vacuuming up any of the dust from the uh, from the rings that is in its path, and so you create a uh, 
you you create a uh, a gap in the rings and uh you know and then potentially you leave some junk behind too so like there's there's a little ringlet that is basically like pans uh exhaust mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of as it goes around too it's pretty cool a little track yeah there's there's a couple of these little little ones there's pandora there's a couple others so uh yeah fun fun little places so all right Moons. we're gonna wrap it up and we're gonna talk about clipper do you mean the Europa Clipper that they've been talking about for all this time? Yeah. Like just as an informal name? It has a formal name. It's been blessed as the Europa Clipper, which is a great name. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Great name. I think it's great. It's harkening back to sailing ships, right? And the idea that Europa has uh, potentially a, a, an ocean with more volume than the Earth's oceans. Um, it's a fun, you know, right? It's like it works on a bunch of different levels. Yeah. So the mission is planned for launch in the late 2020s, uh, take a couple years, get to Jupiter, and it would basically, it would orbit Jupiter, but its path would provide many opportunities of close flybys for the moon. I think they said like 40 to 45 flybys. And the idea is to image the moon's icy surface at high resolution, look at its composition and structure of its interior and icy shell. So, so trying to build a, a picture of how the moon is put together and hopefully uh, an idea of what lays underneath that ice. Yeah, this is one of those things where we had, we've had some missions that have uh, have spied on Europa a little bit, but that um, it, they've been doing all their other business in the Jupiter system. And Europa is, in many ways, I think you could argue the most interesting object in the solar system in terms of the search for life. And we've been talking about that for quite a while now, since the 80s, really. And and there's been a lot of ideas about flying uh, to it and then, like, putting a lander down on it. This is not what this is, but this is a, you know, modern instruments focused on taking lots of pictures and doing lots of imaging and, uh, and uh, structural investigation of of Europa so we know much more about it and 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 in detail which would i think the argument is also which would allow there to be a lander that's something that Emily Lochtawala talked about with us when she was on about how it's hard to send a lander there now because we actually don't have high enough resolution imagery to have an idea of where we would put it so this would allow that i'm unclear on how this will uh, jibe with the uh, congressman who really wants a Europa lander. Um, although, you know, we have had enough evidence now of of plumes coming out of Europa that, you know, you may be able to sample the oceans of Europa by flying through those plumes and uh, detecting them. And, and so I wonder if that will be something that they consider for this mission too. But, um, but you know, whether your heart is set on a lander or not, the idea that we would uh, start naming and prioritizing a mission to look at Europa, I think you got to get behind it, right? Because it is, it is like, it it has been a, an area of interest for people excited about the prospects of life in the solar system since, I mean, I, I remember being excited about it when I read Arthur C. Clarke's 2010, and that was like 1985 or something. That was like a very long time ago. And um, and we still don't have a lot of great data about it because all we really have is Voyager flybys and Galileo and Juno has you know Juno's focused on on the atmosphere of Jupiter so really you know since Galileo we don't have a lot more about Europa. 
Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I think it's uh, for all the reasons you outlined. It's it's an exciting mission and one that could could I mean fundamentally change our understanding of the solar system. It would be incredible. So. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've done so much with so little in terms of Europa uh, that this would be a big this would be a big step forward. I think it's really exciting, the idea of, of diving into this. It's, you know, we talk about exoplanets. We talked, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago about the, about the TRAPPIST-1 findings and all of that. But we have, a sol- we have a solar system-like thing in our solar system, which is the Jovian system, which, the, with those large moons. And it's, a, it's a, an interesting system all its own. And up to now, we've been doing a lot of Jupiter and Jupiter system mission stuff. Uh, not a lot, but some. And this is really interesting because this is like, you know what the most interesting moon is? It's Europa. Let's do a mission just for this one moon of Jupiter. Uh, and it's the right one, I think. I think this is a great a great idea. So I'm excited about it. Bring on the 2020s, I guess. <laughs> Until then, if you want to find show notes for this week's episode... <laughs> Uh, you can do so at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 42. On that page, you can get in touch with us. There's an email link. You can find the show on Twitter at Liftoff Podcast. You can find Jason there as J Snell, and I'm at ISMH. And until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye. Until we meet again on Europa. Adios. Adios.